Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. This is the third episode with Walden. Uh, we just kept talking and I'm just dividing it within half an hour. The reason I'm dividing it for every half hour is because it makes it a little bit more accessible for English learners. And since this is Without Borders, I'm trying to make sure that this is accessible for as many people as possible. I provide transcripts and language notes. Uh, if this is your first time tuning into the show, please check out the last two episodes with Walden. Otherwise, you might get confused. You might miss out on some of the context. Uh, so remember, this is Without Borders, where the story is by the inescapably foreign. Where we last left off, Walden was just about to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so let's hear this. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so... Yeah, if, if you listen to the last episode, we were, um, I was saying how my partner and I had a conversation where we went through our top three best things about New Zealand, um, top three worst things about New Zealand, and top three best things about America, and top three worst things about America. So I went through all of that and was just about to get into the top three worst things about America. And the rabbit hole with that, and the funny piece is that all of both of our answers had to do with our politics. And I was just like, wow, there you go. It's like everything, this was, it was interesting to get her perspective because when she was talking about like her favorite things about America, like with like the variety, it was like, I couldn't believe how lovely the people were. She was just like, everyone was so nice and so inviting. And um, she even talked about like in, when she was in New York City, like when we were walking, um, you know, like on the first day there, like she felt somebody like aggressively like tapping her on the back and she felt it was like a, you know, somebody trying to, sell her something or whatever stop her or whatever and uh, she's turned around it was this little italian lady that was like like why do you have your phone in your back pocket you realize somebody's gonna steal that right just like gave her just a typical new york city telling off for having her phone in her back pocket and put it in her purse and zipped it up and you know she was just like the people were so lovely and great and like then of course like just the variety the food like it was really beautiful and cool but like both of us were just like everything to do with the political system is just so fucked she was just like, that would be like the biggest deterrent for me ever, like wanting to like, you know, live here longer term. So that led to, that was an interesting conversation. And I think that like, it's, it's something that I think, I mean, on anybody listening can probably agree. It's like that system is pretty shit. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was one thing coming to New Zealand that was actually really interesting was seeing how it works here where it's like, instead of like that two party system where it's just. I mean, it's just fucking extremes on both sides in America. And with the way that our media portrays that, it's like, it, you know, no one who sit in the middle where it's like quite reasonable, where it's like, hey, I agree with some of these things on this side. I agree with some of the things on this side. Nobody like that gets any attention. It's only the people that are as far right or as far left as possible get any attention. And so the rest of the world has this perception of Americans that that's what they're all like, you know? Um, it's a stereotype that I've had to, you know, I actually work quite a bit at to break down here uh, when I meet people, but um, but yeah, like that was that was the, the biggest thing that stood for both of us because down here it's like the political system is like you have multiple parties in power and government, so it's like you have um, like the Green Party, the National Party, uh, the Labour Party, New Zealand First, and um, I think you have a few more. I'm I stay away from politics for the most part, but like, um, but the way that you have it is like. Labor and National are kind of the two dominant parties where it's like Labor would be like America's version of Democrats. I'm not sure what that is in Canada. And then National would be closer to... Why did that NDP kind of be similar? 
Gotcha. Yeah. New Democratic. Gotcha. And then National would be kind of closer to like our Republican Party, but still like I assume so, just by the name. <laughs> yeah, but but they're still like way more progressive. Like, you know, they all agree, like, okay, climate change is real. We need to do serious shit about this. Like they're all aligned with like a lot of really big issues and stuff like that. So no no climate like, change deniers in, in New Zealand in the political realm. Very, I don't think they last very long. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's really, really cool. Um, but, but so it's like you have like these those two dominant parties, but then it's like, you know, when you have like elections and stuff, like, you know, they might get like thirty percent of these votes and like like twenty nine percent of these votes, whereas these other little parties can get like a percentage. And so what they do is they'll basically like work out like agreements with these other parties. Who might be like like the Green Party, for example, is very very like heavily environmental focused, um, almost at the at kind of at the expense of like economical stuff. It's like they're kind of one of those where at the extreme end they're like, you know, like kind of just like screw the economy, environment, everything. Whereas like okay, you need a balance in there, right? Otherwise, no one has jobs, no one can eat. So we have like, but they'll like make agreements and stuff with different parties to get their support. So that way you could have like, you know one party might kind of hold the um like the, the tiebreaker vote where it's like if they have enough percentages they might be like well we're going to partner with this party or that party so it's like you get a lot more um yeah like it's just a lot more in the middle here and i i've really appreciated that like i thought that was really cool and i i like that i wish that we could bring something of this back to america where we could get rid of you know archaic shit like the what was the wade versus roe or um whatever that happened like you know, like shit like that. There's just like, how is this fucking still happening in 2022? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was like all of our things around like, like the, the negatives for America all stem from our politics, which I mean, if that doesn't tell you that system's fucked, then hey, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm interested because you, you briefly mentioned that you're, you had to work hard to break some of those stereotypes. Oh, yeah. How do you do that? And what kind of judgments have you received? <laughs> Oh man, it it was a lot of like when I first moved here, and I guess I had a thicker accent too. Um, but like, you see, I think a lot of it was like a lot of people seem to think that we're all very, very engaged in politics. Like, you know, I'd have people because when I came here, it was like pure coincidence, but it was like like two months or so after I came immigrated here in 2016 it was when Trump got elected, so. Everyone was, and so of course that was the hot topic everyone wanted to ask me about, and I was just like, "Dude, like it's 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 not my problem. It's I'm I'm not in that country anymore. I live here. Like, why would I, you know, like why would I be so involved in this?" But it was like there is quite a strong stereotype that like Americans are all like super into politics, um, and so that was one where I just had to be like, "No, like I, you know, I just want to do what's reasonable and what's going to be the best for you know." like what's going to be the best for people. It's like, I want to be able to understand, you know, as much of both sides as I can and, you know, work together with people to come to, you know, a sensible conclusion, you know, not like debate back and forth. Like, this is right. That's wrong. Like, da, da, da. it's like, no, I want to like try to understand. Um, whereas, and then as well, like another big one was um, that Americans are just very, uh, what's the word for this? Um, I guess just very, just kind of think they're they're better than every everyone else. So it's like when I would say like you know talk about like how much I love like you know New Zealand and stuff. It's like people would just be like ah like you know like 
more of them living in America? And, you know, I'd be like, well, yeah, like, especially like when I first came here and, you know, like, I was like, yeah, like, definitely. It's like, now it's like, I, I'm, you know, a bit more reasonable. It's like, I can see the pros and cons of both a bit better, but, but yeah, like stuff like that was, uh, was a pretty big one. Um, and then the, uh, the, the guns thing was another one. Um, everyone was just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, funny. Well, that kind of makes me feel like I'm like everyone else because I was just about to ask you about that. <laughs> I was going to say, well, Walden, you seem like a pretty centrist guy. Or I don't even want to use the word centrist. You just seem like a person. Kind of makes me think about um, oh, like an old, old Chris Rock routine. What does he say? It's like everyone's so concerned about being liberal or conservative uh, to be a person. And he's like, me, when it comes to crime, I'm conservative. When it comes to prostit prostitution, I'm liberal. <laughs> Was that the same skit where he talked about how, like, like guns needed to be fully legal, but each bullet should cost, like, $5,000? Uh, <laughs> I said, rock. I can't remember who did that skit, but man, I was there, man. The routine I'm talking about, I listened to it when I was 12, right? So, long, long, I don't even know how I memorized it. It's just so stuck in there. Uh, but anyways, I was going to ask you, cause you're, you're pretty, like, you've got values a little bit from the right, from the left. Do you just, you just want to figure out what's the best for everyone. How do you feel about guns? Like, do you miss your gun culture in America now that you're in New Zealand or are you happy that it's not there? Oh man. Gosh, this is, um, this is, this is one that I'm sure I will have, um, a lot of people heavily disagree with me about, but I, I want to give a little bit of background with this. So, um, I'm, I actually am pro prone gun ownership. Part of this stems from because my dad was a sheriff. So I was taught how I was taught a lot of respect for guns and also how to use guns from quite an early age. Um, and so was my whole family. My, my siblings were all taught how to, how to use guns. They were taught to respect them more than anything. Um, it was something that my dad, you know, he took it very seriously. It's like, you know, it was something that I, he made very clear. It's like, you know, this is not a toy. This is not a game. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is something that like you you respect because, you know, this can save your life as it did save his life multiple times. And, um, I, I believe even saved, uh, my sister's life once actually as well, um, owning a gun and knowing how to use it. So it's one of those things where it's like, because of the experience that I grew up with, I I'm definitely biased and I'm aware of that. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, like, in, cause in New Zealand, it's like you had a, um, I guess like with some of the, the gun laws here, and I guess this is also my understanding of it. Like I, you know, couldn't quote this or point to a resource, but this is just from knowing people that, that do have guns here. But like, um, you know, cause of course like people hunt here and stuff like, you know, there are, there are elk, there's deer and, but you know, mountain goats and wild boar and stuff here. So like, there's quite a good hunting culture. Um. But it's like some of the rules around guns here is like, for example, if you, um, you know, you have to like go through quite an extensive process to get like a license for one, which I agree with that. Like, I think it should be way more difficult to get a gun. Um, and I also feel like there should have to be like regular, like, like background checks or like even like psychological checkups, like, you know, like yearly or something in order to like retain that. Um, completely seems, seems reasonable to me, right? But with here, there are also laws where if um, if you do have a gun, it's like, for example, it must be locked away in a safe, and the ammunition must also be locked away in a separate place, so they cannot be together. And my issue with that is, like, if someone breaks into my house, that doesn't really help me. Um, 
And it's like the main reason why, like, you know, I, you know, like when we, we have a place in America, like I'll definitely own guns again. Or like, you know, the reason why I would want to own that here is in the case of something like that happening, which, you know, very rare, very unlikely, but it's one of those things where it's like in the case of that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to play with that. Um, but it's like in that case, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm, I stand a better chance if I run to the kitchen and grab a knife. Um, and then what if it's multiple people that are broken in, like a gang robbery or something? So um, that's something that I'm, yeah, not really on board with. But, you know, I've, I've given a little bit of context for why I'm biased with that one. So, yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, <laughs> I guess some people listening to this might <laughs> might hate on it. But that's all right, right? We, that's the thing. We, we have to be able to disagree and still have respect for each other. Um, I talked about that in one article, like your opinions don't define who you are. And if your opinions do define who you are, you're never going to be able to change them. Right. That is so refreshing. And I'm so glad that you, you talk about that too, because like something that I can't remember where I heard this quote from, um, a while ago, but somebody talked about like a, a really big issue with a lot of like millennials and younger generations is they can't, they can't separate their opinions from their identities. And so it's like any a disagreement with an opinion it feels like a personal attack. Exactly. And, that, and this is when you leave, you get those really nasty, just mudslinging fights that like, you know, it's like, well, you know, if we just try to understand where the other person's coming from, which is why I gave that context at the start of that, that it's like, well, you know, we're less likely to get down a shitty rabbit hole like that and actually preserve the relationship. Whereas, you know, I mean, how many friendships or relationships do you know that have ended because of something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and to touch on the gun control, like I'm, I'm someone that wasn't raised in that culture and I, I want stricter gun control just from what I see in America with school shootings and everything like that. I just, any, anything that can put this to an end, I want to be on that side. But then in Canada, I've heard what you mentioned as well, right? Where you have, you have this law where you have to lock up the gun separate from the bullets. And you mentioned it now to protect yourself from intruders or robberies. But I've also heard the art argument that these laws kind of discriminate people who are in rural areas and need to protect themselves from, let's say, cougars or bears and stuff. And this this really happens in Canada, too, in Chilcotin. And the guy says, I don't follow the rule. I put my gun under my bed because I've had times where I go outside quickly, take a piss. Right. And their cougar is right there. He's like, I need my gun accessible. <laughs> right. And, and then, uh, country. Right. But I, you know, then you got like city folk. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in between, but it, I'm, I guess I usually have more of the values of city people. And then, but I understand that how pretentious it is when it's all of a sudden like, yeah, but like it's not important and we should, we should be super strict with these gun laws. And, like almost kind of looking down on the rural people. And we have to understand that these laws are different and used differently in different situations, right? So it is a complicated issue. Big yeah. time, man. And that's, that's such a good point too about the rural. I didn't, even, I didn't even think to mention that earlier where it's like where I grew up, like we were 30 minutes away from the nearest town. It's like if, you know, if the worst had happened, like when someone did decide like, hey, this looks like a really easy place to rob, you know, no one's going to get there for like at least like 20 minutes. Like that's, that's not a good spot to be in. Um, you know, when you don't have a way to defend yourself, but yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It's like you said, like it is a very complicated thing and it's like, I, I don't know. It, 
I don't know. How, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, it's like, I mean, do you separate like rules based on like where someone lives in relation to like the nearest police station, for example, or like, you know, do you like, yeah, what does it look like? Because like in New York City, um, yeah, New York City, it's like there's there's like nothing. Like, you know, you, there's no concealed carry permits. There's no like, I, I don't think you could own one. Um, I could be wrong on that, but like, I mean. I'm pretty sure that the laws within New York City are completely different from, like, anywhere outside of New York City. I mean, they don't allow Walmarts in the city limits, so, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no Walmarts allowed. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that's actually something we touched on. I don't know if it was the first episode or the second one. Um, you mentioned that in New Zealand, most entrepreneurs start small businesses, and they don't really have this goal to start franchises. I think you and I might have like different values here because for me, I love it here in Europe, how there are so many small businesses and I do see franchises starting to take over like this kind of American cultural influence. And personally, I, I don't like it as much because I feel like it kind of gets rid of some of the diversity. Like I find with big corporations, it starts to make everything more homogenous, right? And I like to see more of like a heterogeneous society where there's a mix of everything but i want to hear your side about it like why why do you like the idea of these franchises and like sp spreading out the businesses more mm, gotcha yeah that, it was walmart that made me think of it of course so. <laughs> yeah i mean that's the, the obvious one right um i think that it's it's not really that i'm partial to, to one way or the other as more as it is just like kind of an observation that i've noticed here um it's like, I guess, like, if I look at, like, somebody who wants to, like, have more control over their time, and I guess this kind of ties back into, like, you know, the answer to my, or my answer to that question, how do you want to live? It's like, if you want more control over your time, you need to be able to duplicate your means of production, right? And if that looks like starting a business, like, you know, you can go, like, like the network marketing route, for example, like, that's something where you can duplicate, like, your means of production, or you can, if you want to go traditional business, then that would look like franchising, right? Um, like if you look at like, you know, McDonald's, for example, it's like, you know, the franchisor say, for example, helps someone, you know, business that's turning over, we'll just say a hundred thousand bucks a year. They take 6% of that. It's like, all right, cool. Like, you know, the one who has the, the business they help start up, like is making a lot more money, but if they want to have more money, they have to help more succeed. Right. And so that's how they're going to multiply their means of production and also just kind of get back more time for themselves. So. So from a, like, a, a goal of, like, what I kind of want to achieve, like, I guess it makes a bit more sense to me. But, no, I'm actually completely aligned with you as far as, like, I love having all the little options of stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I love New York so much, and I love big cities, is because a lot of them, you still have so many, like, little niche restaurants and unique places that you can go and check out and, you know, like, shop or, like, you know, do whatever at. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that's more of, like, a, um, like around like scaling and stuff. It's not really that I have like a, I think I have a preference for like one way or the other. Um, it's more of just a, I, it makes sense to me for like how I want to live, but I completely understand how it does make sense for everybody. And yeah. And I like the small yeah. thing too. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get that side as well. Uh, another thing that we talked a little bit about, well, throughout the, if you've listened to the last two episodes, you probably realize that Walden has a really good quote and he has really good ways to put things in perspective in in just a few words um like for personal development reasons 
And I agree with everything you've said, and it's kind of helped me throughout the podcast as well. But um, one thing I always hate on, and I think you don't hate on this, is the the word like a personal brand, right? It's it's so big nowadays, right? I read your article about personal brand as well, and it was it was really good. <laughs> I I liked it, but for me, it's just like about we're human, and we focus so much on like. What what is your brand image, right? Or if you've seen the Andy Warhol uh, series on Netflix, it kind of started a little bit with him. It seems right, like you being your business and then selling that that image. And I don't know something that doesn't sit right with me there because we're humans. I mean, you should be thinking of each other as humans, not as brands, right? But how, how would you react to that? Because you you kind of help people create personal brands. Oh man, that's such a that's such a good question, and I, I actually completely forgot that I had that linked in um in my Instagram too. Like I, I wrote that a while ago for the um, um New Zealand International Business Analyst Association. Um, but yeah, I think that like it's an interesting one too because it's like I think that like when people talk about like a personal brand, like they. I think they tr- they think about it as too much of like a business thing when it's it's literally just like who you are like you know it's like when you when you think about me like what do you think about someone that has tried a lot of different things and now has his hands in a bunch of different uh, businesses uh, that's more like how I would define you from a um, like a work standpoint and just as a person just someone who I I immediately connected with you because. As we've talked a little bit about this show, we're really open to discussing different opinions, right? And I think that's the that's probably the number one thing. Who's Walden? A super open dude, like really open guy. There you there you go, right there. Personal brand, and I think the thing is with with that is like we we build that by like what we expose people to, like about like just with like how we're, how we're living, like our day to day things, and. You know, before social media was what it is today, you know, it's, I, I guess it wasn't as much of a thing, but like now it's a bit different with people that have built like so many businesses around, you know, who they are as a person. Whereas like you think about like if someone has a, um, um, like a supplement business, for example, like, um, you know, at, I'll use, um, um, I'll use first form, for example, uh, Andy Frisella is the, like the founder of that huge, huge multi-million dollar supplement brand. But like, for example, if like he decided to go vegan, you know, suddenly like, you know, in business that he's built around, like, you know, like himself as a brand for it, like is, is incongruent. So it do- doesn't really make, make sense. But like, I think that's, that's the example when someone does have like products, um, around like, like, you know, who they are, that's where I can get a little bit messy and a little bit like more complex and salesy. I think that when it's more like a service thing, for example, like if someone's doing like consulting or like even like life coaching or, um, or like mentoring or leadership development or something, it's like, I think that needs to be more congruent with like who they are. Um, and it's like, it's just what you, what you expose people to. It's like when, this is funny, but anybody who follows me on Instagram, like when they think of Walden, they think of like, like personal development, leadership stuff, good quotes, lifting heavy shit and ducklings. Like <laughs> yeah. and, and and cat videos, like for example, like shit like that's like my personal brand because it's like that's the stuff that I share and expose people to because it's the stuff that interests me that I enjoy. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I totally see where you're coming from where it's like people get like too salesy or like they start to like, I guess, try to separate it from like who they are, but it's like, dude, it's just you. Like you just be your authentic self and give the world that. And it's like, that's your personal brand. And it's like, you know, that's going to be whatever you make it. Like you don't need to like, you know, put it into a box or like twist it a certain way. It's like, you just need to be authentic. You know that? Well, then you're good at this, Matt, because you sold the personal brand by tipsing you out. I like the way you put it in perspective, because for me, it's just a little bit of a linguistic thing, like just the the sound of it. But now yeah. the way you're describing it, I get it. I get it. Um, oh, Matt, we, the time is flying by. Like we're already on episode three, so we've been talking for an hour and a half. But one thing we haven't even touched on that we kept saying is... What was your immigration experience like, like the technical side of it? So was it difficult to immigrate to New Zealand or was it? Oh, man. Okay. Um, cool. We'll probably fit, finish up on, on this one, uh, but I'm happy to jump back on the show like at a later time or something for sure, dude. It's been so much freaking fun. Oh, uh, man. But with, uh, with uh, the immigration, I'll just kind of walk people through this really quickly. So, um. New Zealand's an easier place to immigrate if you're under 30. If you're under 30, you can get, I, I don't know what it's like now after COVID, but beforehand you could get a working holiday visa that was good for a year for like, I don't even think it costs anything. And you could literally come into the country and live and work, um, you know, be covered under the health system and everything for a year. So if you're under 30, sweet, you know, you got access to that. Um, now, what we did was, so I came to New Zealand. Um, I don't know if you ever saw this, but I, um, when, I, when I went back after I left Nepal and went back to New York City, um, I had a pretty sweet break where I got a lead role in a movie called Freak Show. And so I did this film for like basically the whole month of November after I got back. And it was it was really great. Like, you know, it paid awesome. I got to meet some really freaking cool people. Um, Sting's wife was actually the director, Trudy Styler. Oh, what? And it was, yeah, it, it was, it was so much freaking fun. Like I got to work with Abigail Breslin, um, Ian Nelson, Alex Lothar, like, you know, some pretty like, you know, really like professional folks. They were, it was so much fun. But anyways, when I finished that off, I went to New Zealand for, um, for a month to go visit Jess and check out the country. Cause we were kind of doing the long distance thing and, you know, like, oh, should you come to New York and join me? Like, you know, like I was like, ah, God, like we don't really live in a safe place you know jersey um and then just like how difficult it would be for her to actually get like a visa to be able to come and work there and how expensive and everything and i was like you know what let me come to you first and just check it out and see what it's like so i came to new zealand for a month um or five weeks and at the start of 2016 freaking loved it we traveled heaps um so I got to actually see quite a lot of it. I got to experience a lot of what the people were like, the food, everything. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is good. I can I can move here. It's a lot easier too. So I went ahead and got the working holiday visa. Um, actually, I got it before I came because I was just like, you know what? If this is a one-way trip, sweet. Because it was a one-way ticket, actually. I wasn't sure when I was. I was just like, I'll go back to the States when I feel like it. Because, um, you know, I had a bit of cash at the time and wasn't as responsible as I am now. But um, so I did that and... You know, she was living in this small town called Greynouth at the time. And I was just like, you know what? There's not really any job opportunities here. So let me go back to the States. Let's pick a city to move to, like, you know, the capital Wellington or Auckland or whatever. Um, so she ended up getting a job in 
um, in Wellington. But we went ahead and started planning in advance to transition me over to a partnership visa, which was like probably the easiest way to immigrate, honestly, like, you know, freaking fall in love with somebody who lives there. Done. Um, but so there were certain things we went ahead and started looking into what we need to do. Like we needed to have a bank account together. Um, we need to, to live together for, I think, six months. Um, so there were these requirements we had to meet. So we went ahead and got a bank account together. Um, like, you know, and then, yeah, we went from living on opposite sides of the world to living in the same house together. Um, so that was either going to work or it wasn't. Um, yeah, <laughs> skipped a bunch of steps in a traditional relationship. But when I came over, it was, um, September, 2016. So we lived together for, it may have only been three months at the time, um, for the visa requirement, but then we went to put in my application for the partnership visa in December. And what I didn't realize was that my um, my working holiday visa had actually started in January when I first entered the country, despite the fact that I didn't work. So don't mess that up if you're listening to this and thinking about moving to New Zealand. Um, as soon as you enter the country, whether you choose to work or stay or not, that visa is activated and it's ticking down. So we got to this position where it was like, shit, we need to transition you onto this other visa or you can't work. Um, and I was working on one of the ferries, but the ferry between the two islands, um, at the time, it was my first job. We'd moved to Wellington and right when we were about to put in the application for, uh, for the partnership visa, all the laws changed. So it went from like, we had everything we needed to like, all of a sudden I needed a $450 chest X-ray and like full medical. Um, I needed a police clearance from the FBI, which could take up to 16 weeks. Um, and I had like two weeks to get this stuff into immigration before they closed for the holidays. So, you know, we are stressed at this point and I'm like, okay, wow. Uh, so I did everything I freaking could. I wouldn't, yeah, I got the chest X-ray, all that stuff. We got that filed away. Um, I managed to find a, pro a company that could expedite the police report really quickly. Got that filed away. Um, but still, it's, you know, once it actually gets into immigration, then you have to wait for it to get assigned a case officer. And then you have to wait for them to process it, which could take, you know, God knows how many weeks. So January 4th rolled around, my visa expired, and I still didn't. And I thought that what would happen was as long as we got the information in before um, the office closed for the holidays, you know, it would put me on an interim visa, which would allow me to work based on the same conditions under the partnership visa while it was being processed. Someone at immigration told us that, and it was not true. So what actually happened was I got demoted down to a visitor visa um, when my working holiday ran out. So even though we got everything in before the office closed for the holidays, um, yeah, we found this out, and it was just like, okay, well, shit, you're screwed, man. So for the entire month of January, um, Jess was like our only means of financial support because I couldn't legally work. Um, thankfully, the like my boss at the um, at the ferry, she was an immigrant from the UK. She had a really stressful immigration experience herself, so she was really understanding and she held my job for me. Um, but still, it took the entire month of January for them to actually process it and finally give me that visa. And man, it was it was the most stressful experience of my life because it's like you think about it, it's like your entire future hinges on one person saying yes or no to this thing, right? No. Like, it was, 
when I went from from the partnership visa to like my residency, that was actually easy and stress free. Like because we had all the information from the original one. And so that was easy, but man, that first one, because we just kept getting caught off guard by like, you know, bad information, um, law changes, like that was rough. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that was the story with that. But I had that partnership visa for, um, I think like a year or two, and then I was able to transition to residency. And then I got my permanent residency two years after my partnership based residency. So I'm a permanent resident here now, and I've got two more years to go, like I mentioned in the first episode, before I can go for citizenship, and then I'll be a dual passport holder. Congratulations, man. Our <laughs> right. It was a mission, but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, man, thanks for sharing all of that. That hour and a half flew by. Uh, again, I hope all of you check out the three episodes that we split up this an hour and a half conversation into. And remember, this is Without Borders, stories by the inescapably foreign. I hope you tune in next time.